The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. Okay, good morning. So let's just have a, let's settle in. Maybe a few more people will join us. Welcome to our day on effort or energy. So we're working our way through the ten paramis and we have so far looked at generosity, virtue, renunciation, wisdom and today we're looking at the parami of virya which is translated as effort or energy. And those are I those two words have a little different meaning to me in my practice. Effort is like what you bring to what you need to do to you know we, if we just did nothing our lives would carry on without much change and we we are here to transform ourselves in some way so some kind of effort is needed. 
But then energy is a natural quality of the human that the humans have, you know, and we can release, free up our energy. A lot of our practice is actually about looking at the ways that we hold ourselves numb and tense and don't look at things. And so we're actually freeing up energy. We're becoming aware of energy and how energy moves in us and where our energy is stuck and where it's moving. And so, and then as as we learn to waste less energy in all kinds of grasping and clinging and agitated pursuits, the energy begins to transform into a more steady strength that supports us. So effort and energy work together in that way. We put in a wise kind of effort and energy, better, more energy that's more harmonious is a result. So I thought we'd start out, as we usually do, by looking a little bit at our conditioning and our past history in relation to this particular factor. So some of us hear the word effort and we think, you know, oh no, I'm exhausted, I came to this to relax, I don't want to make effort. You know, some people, oh great, I can, I can learn something new, a new skill, I can, I'm good at that. And so there are all kinds of relationships to the idea of making effort. You might think of yourself as a very energetic person or as a very low energy person. So just think a little bit about what, what kind of conditioning you bring to the study of this topic of effort and energy. Okay? So that's really the question. And I think we've got, uh, we've got three groups of three here. So let's just get in three groups of three. All right. And we'll just, very, just, just go around and what comes to mind when you hear about this topic of effort or energy? And what, do you, what kind of conditioning do you think you're bringing to the idea of making some effort or learning something about how your energy works. You know, just what's your response to this topic in general? And we'll just have about uh, maybe three minutes apiece. Do you want to do, you want to go around or do you like monologues? What's your, you have a preference? I don't know why. I, I can't see what's, maybe just, Let's leave it open. I don't want to ring the bell a lot, but try to go around. Give, try to be aware of sharing equal time with everybody, okay? And, and we're also not, in this kind of discussion, we're not engaging in a lot of crosstalk, a lot of um, f- advice, things like that, a lot of responding to what people said exactly. We're giving each person a time to just connect with what you want to say, you know, to yourself. Yeah. Okay, well, I mean, to me, effort is like what you need to do, you know, to, uh, w- to help manage your energy somehow, <laughs> to kind of uh, release the energy that's stuck, to not waste your energy, to focus, to, you know, to work with it somehow. And energy is the natural human capacity to have some energy. And so, and energy is kind of the result of skillful effort, in a way. That's what I was suggesting. So just think about your own relationship to these topics and just share however, in whatever form you want to share and just being aware of, of uh, equal time for everybody. 
ideas of effort and energy. Anybody willing to share? I love this topic. It's so um, it's so relevant because, as you started out, Chris, is what we put our energy into. And I, in our talk, I reflected that that it is so easy to go off, put into you know into whatever stories and whatever. But the effort to bring back. And the energy that goes into the less I find that I'm not being wholesome in my thoughts, my actions, my speech, the less energy I have. And the more that I am focusing on on just being present, just being here, that it seems like the more energy I have for the practice, for sure, and the more energy I have for other people around me, as well as for myself. This is just, it was great. Thank you for starting out that way. Um, thank you for this this topic. It's just something that's plagued me my whole life, because um, in the morning and all day long, I have this kind of happy engagement with life, like just I've got it, I'm hitting it. But then around five o'clock, I uh, everything's dissipated, and I spend maybe four hours after that doing things to I don't know to like. Like I'm very vulnerable to taking pills, edibles, anything to restore the energy, the huge amount of energy I spent burned off during the day. I have no fuel. And um, then the next day it begins again. And I know exactly what's going to happen at 5 o'clock, but I just can't seem to reconstruct uh, my pyramid. You know, learning, learning that there are ups and downs in our natural energy and how to do different kinds of skillful effort is appropriate at different times. Trying to get it back, you know, it's probably not it. How to be with what's low, how to be with low energy. Yeah, I would give anything to learn that skill.
Um, I just, I'm coming out of a year, year and a half of having lost almost all of my energy and being able to bring up, exert any kind of effort on my behalf. Very, very limited and some chronic pain and misdiagnosis and bad medications. And I'm slowly coming out of that. And something that really helped me was um, it was a therapist who said in, in the chronic pain world, there's this idea of 30 spoons. You get 30 spoons every day. And he didn't know where the spoons came from or what it was. And I thought, oh, that's, that's kind of cute. But then I found myself thinking about those spoons and how do I want to use them? today and then I realized well I know I have a limited amount of energy and <clears throat> excuse me that I'll that I'll burned out so I started to think about well what are the kinds of efforts that I want to make and I started to separate them, them into this is something that's really important to let's say move my body just move my body through space get some strength back and others were these are things if I don't do, I'm going to be in a lot of trouble, and it's going to cause so much extra work. And I started, I, I was telling the group, I have started organizing my life in different categories instead of a, a big to-do list of things. It's more of, uh, this is what I really value, and if if I can accomplish or I can pay attention or give my energy that I have or my effort to these things, it's going to make a difference. And that has come true. So I don't really count the spoons, but it's been a framework for how do I want to spend this day? What do I want to do this morning? And what will that move me closer to? This is not about the topic. I was just thinking, you know, in order to continue community and getting to know each other, and we didn't put the name tags out, if you would mind just saying um, your name, and then, you know, we just get to know each other more. Yeah. I'm Kathleen. And that was Noel. noticing am I aware and beginning to tune into 
the difference for you between what feels like being present and aware and what feels like being lost in thought or asleep, building off? What is present? I mean, even when we're lost in thought, of course, we, at some level we know what's going on because we can kind of remember later, but it's not the same thing as being present and knowing that you're present and knowing that you're aware of what's happening. So the most basic move in our meditation is to learn that discernment between presence and being sort of lost in based out in the sleep. So just, am I aware? And then the very minimal amount of effort it takes to kind of stay with that. question, what am I aware of? <clears throat> so again, without strain, without thinking that anything in particular needs to be answered, just something in your direct experience. the here and now, the contact of your body with the chair, we don't need to really manufacture something to be aware of, just ask yourself, am I aware, and what am I aware of, and the mind doesn't need to get busy searching all over for something, the breath is fine body is fine. The main thing is begin to cultivate more and more moments of being aware. One of the things you can be aware of then is also what's your relationship to what you're aware of. to stay with the breathing, that's fine. Are you aware of the sensations of breathing? When you say, what are you aware of? We don't 
necessarily have to give a word to it that might overcomplicate it, but just really feeling it like you're tasting your food, feeling what it is that you're aware of, if it's a sensory experience of some kind. Just letting the experience reveal itself to It's tiring when we're trying to make something happen or trying to make something stop happening. It can be both restful and enlivening to simply be, become interested in what is arising, what is happening. Tiny little sensations in the body. easy to bring throughout the day, just am I aware, what am I aware of? Sometimes we wake up in the middle of strong emotions often, or reactions to what's happening. What you're aware of is that there's upset or anger, maybe confusion. What is my relationship to what's happening? Am I wanting it to stop? Trying to make it stop? Running around looking for a solution? Without really stopping and pausing to feel into what it is. What is this? How is it manifesting in the body? Where is there tension? you into the present, takes that step back where you can see clearly that the phenomenon of thinking or feeling or reacting is what's happening. Maybe being tired, feeling low energy is what's happening. Right now it's like this. We don't even have to have a word that exactly describes this. Let the mind just open to being with 
and over this move of shifting from being sort of pushed around by what's happening to look for a way to change it or fix it or make it different. That shift from not being pushed around but turning to just, okay, see it. Acknowledge it for what it is. It's like this. That takes a certain kind of strength but it's not a wasting of bending of energy in all different directions. It's like you stop being chased around and stand firm and see what is this. And then you can also play with how little effort that can take. Say if you're very tired, what's the minimal amount of effort to just be aware of it? Tiredness and this persistent returning to this skillful basic effort in our meditation of being present, recognizing that right now it's like this. Maybe you can have a little, open to a little more clarity about what this is. And what's your relationship to it? Are you trying to fix it? go away, make something else happen, blame yourself for it. All those are secondary effects that you can be aware of and see what effect those are having on your energy. learn to notice where your energy is concentrated. Is it all up in your head or can you feel your feet, feel your legs? Sense your belly and your heart. Sometimes it's useful to consciously open up more and bring online more parts of your body. Consciously balance your energy. notice whether you're doing that in a a slow and mindful and accepting way or whether you're doing that in a kind of frantic fixing way. It's very different.
inviting you to bring awareness of this question of energy, level of energy, what way are you spending energy in your practice, how light, how light can you be with your effort to just be aware, recognize right now it's like this, this is what I'm aware of, and this is my relationship to regardless of whether you're taking the breath as your primary object or a more open awareness practice. How's that? <laughs> Voila. Okay, great. Yeah, so I'm going to be talking about wise ways to work with unwholesome thoughts. And, you know, most of us know this intuitively, and this is something that's been talked about a lot. In fact, just this morning, I read on the daily, it's like daily good news, um, you know, this book that's been printed about how to overcome our negativity bias, right? So um, I do want to go back for a moment about what Carol said about, you know, how these unwholesome thoughts impact our energy and our mind states and our hearts and our bodies. And... um, I'm going to start out by reading some excerpts of a sutta that um, Chris reminded me of, and it just it makes me very happy. And um, the the name of it it's in the Majjhima Nikaya. It's, the name of it is two kinds of thought. So you know the Buddha thought about this a lot, and also saw that we have a negativity bias. So 
here's how it starts. Um, Bhikkhus, before my enlightenment, while I was still only an unenlightened bodhisattva, it occurred to me, suppose that I divide my thoughts into two classes. Then I set on one side thoughts of sensual desire, thoughts of ill will, and thoughts of cruelty. Which I think is a very interesting word. So notice this is not the typical greed, aversion, delusion. This is greed or sensual desire, aversion or ill will, and then cruelty that's connected with these unwholesome thoughts. And I said on the other side, thoughts of renunciation, thoughts of non-ill will, and thoughts of non-cruelty. And then he goes on to say that he understood that this thought of sensual desire, you know, these unwholesome thoughts, here's what they lead to, um, as many of us have experienced. My own affliction, you know, my own harm. Harm to others, harm to both self and others. And this is one I love. It obstructs wisdom. Right? I'm really clear about that. Obstruct, obstructs wisdom. Causes difficulty. I love that. It's a catch-all. Causes difficulty. And leads away from, and in this translation it says Nibbana, I like for my own understanding, it leads away from peace. It leads away from my sense of peace. And I'm going to add one more that is really important from a training I did this past week. It separates us from not only other people, right? If I'm thinking, oh, I can't believe that person, blah, blah, blah. You know, I'm getting further and further away. And this kind of, of course, when we do this to in our mind to ourselves, you know, oh, I can't believe I did this. I can't believe I this and that. It's separating ourselves from our own hearts. So... Um, So the Buddha talks about the importance of reflecting on the impact that unwholesome thinking has. And that's why he lists these. And um, this is, by the way, the famous sutta where many of us have heard, you know, whatever a bhikkhu frequently thinks and ponders upon, that will become the inclination of the mind. It's one of my favorite lines. We see it often. So the message there is to be very careful of what is going on in the mind. And so then further down, I love this statement from the Buddha. You know, so when I noticed this happening in my mind, I abandoned it, removed it, did away with it. (laughs) So that's not so easy. Um definitely takes energy and effort to do that. But the Buddha definitely, he promised it's doable. In another sutta, he says, I would not ask this of you if it were not doable. And um, so this next piece is this simile that the Buddha gives, which I just love. And it's it's a way, this is um, very much like Chris talked about, you know, really how much energy and effort's really needed. So this is about micro-movements, right? And you'll see by this simile um, what I mean by that. So the Buddha talks about, so just as in the last month of the rainy season, in the autumn, when the crops thicken, a cow herd 
which, by the way, I had to. Look, I wasn't really familiar with that word. It's like a shepherd, but someone who watches over cows. A cowherd would guard his cows by constantly tapping. I like that word, tapping, and then he says poking them on this side and that with a stick to check and curb them. Why is that? Because he sees that he could be flogged, imprisoned, fined, or blamed if he lets the cows stray into the crops. So, too, I saw in unwholesome states danger, degradation, and defilement. In the wholesome states, the blessing of renunciation and the aspect of cleansing and purification. So, for me, when I think of this, you know, these are the micro-movements. So here's this cow herd. And um, I imagine these, I love cows. Like, they're so adorable, and they have these big brown eyes. They're such innocent eyes. And I just imagine them looking over at these yummy crops like, ooh, right? And how natural that is. Of course they want to do that. Like, we all want to do that. This is so natural. And then the cow herd... You know, just, I'm I'm going to use the tapping, just gently tapping, oh, over here, over here. It's not this whole movement of trying to get way over to the other side. It's just tapping here. And um, this is the micro-movement of the mind that we, that is needed. It's nothing more. And I want to <clears throat> expand on that um, in something that I learned from Ajahn Susito. He's the one that wrote this book that we have for this class, and we've offered it as an optional reading. And I was listening some of his talks, and it's so inspiring because he says, just as I was saying about these cows that were looking at this food and like, woo. So our minds are like this too, and it's natural. Our minds love to be entertained. You know, they, they're looking for nourishment, and they're just, woo, right? And all of our minds do this. They kind of veer over here and there, and they do veer into the unwholesome. And Ajahn Sasito says, and I love this, is that this is natural. There's nothing wrong with us. And he didn't bring this up, but I I thought about this because I've been practicing a lot with this. It's been so helpful. And I thought, hey, this is just like when we're in sitting meditation and we learn at this center anyway that when we notice the mind has wandered, that's not a moment of, oh, you know, I can't believe I did blah, blah. It's a moment of celebrating. And we teach that here. Oh, I'm actually now aware again. I'm back, right? And so the same thing when I notice the mind, and I say the mind because all our minds do it, like veering over into the us unwholesome, and you know, I can feel, oh, that person. And then when I notice it, like, oh, and then doing just that little tapping. <laughs> oh, I don't need to go there. Just a little over here, into this, to this pasture over here. 
So the practice then, which he encourages and many traditions encourage, and we just heard Chris encouraging, is so we have that moment of awareness, what we're doing, and we do a little bit of tapping, and then coming straight into the body. And the he's encouraging that, we encourage that, that is my practice, coming into the breath or the body and noticing, instead of kind of trying to undo here, just noticing, oh, what's happening here? And for me lately as I've been doing that, like, oh, my tummy, (laughs) my tummy is all contracted. Or sometimes I've been noticing, like, my throat's tight, you know, because maybe something I'm not saying and I'm you know, just doing this, this unwholesome thinking. So going into the body and just softening, you know. And, and there's, there's how the energy can then again be released, more of a flow, and that's steady. And we're again present in what's here right now and not up here. So the Buddha talked about um, in the following sutta, which is called The Removal of Distracting Thoughts. (laughs) Um, He talks about when these are persistent. So the first practice is to go into the body. And I don't know about any of you, but um, this practice occurs and you know anywhere we can use this practice anywhere right our our mind is with us at all times so this is not only in sitting practice but in daily life and the buddha talks about if these thoughts start to persist which i have noticed sometimes they do persist um so there's a couple of ways that the buddha talks about working with these and i'm just gonna he mentions five different ways and i'm gonna mention two And the first is really key. It's very similar to going in the body. And it's basically not giving attention to those thoughts. And it's it's also very similar to just a little bit of tapping, you know, of the cows. Tapping of the mind over here, over here. So just taking our attention and our awareness and not placing it on the unwholesome thinking. And so his simile here, just maybe if if it helps you to imagine, just as a man with good eyes who did not want to see forms that had come within range of sight would either shut his eyes or look away. So too, we can do the same. And what came up for me with this is, you know, watching a scary movie. I'm uh, I'm not one of these that watches scary movies, but if I'm watching a movie and it's catching me by surprise and there's parts that are scary, I will literally close my eyes and plug my ears. And so that was the image for me in the same way with these unwholesome thoughts, you know. I'm not going all the way over to cultivating gratitude and metta, which is a fine practice, but in this talk, I'm really focusing on just these little micro-movements away from the unwholesome. And then lastly, there's this piece about um, 
the way the Buddha words this is quite interesting. It's basically, he's saying, when, when Mara, you know, this is like Mara mind, when Mara mind just continues and continues in this proliferation over and over going back into, you know, we know that rut, right? We're going down that rabbit hole. He says, sometimes you have to crush the mind with mind. So I wasn't excited about this simile, but with his teeth clenched and his tongue pressed against the roof of his mouth, the bhikkhu beats down, constrains, and crushes the mind with mind. It's like, wow, okay. But what I've, the practice I've used is stop. It's quite something. So sometimes I even say, I see you, Mara. Stop. And I was talking with Gil about this one time, and he says, oh, yeah, that reminds me of, you know, with kids, you just have to draw boundaries sometimes, you know. Stop. Enough. And so I have used that one. And that one works. And that one's obviously, you know, a last resort if all of these more gentle approaches are not um, habituating and inclining the mind away from those unwholesome thoughts. So, what I would like to ask each of you to do for just a moment is, you can either close your eyes or just contemplate for a moment. Think about a time, a specific time, and it could be a couple, if you, if, you know, a couple mo- things come to mind, that you notice the mind thinking unwholesome thoughts about someone, some situation, some institution. And this could be either in daily life or your sitting practice. So a time you notice the mind thinking unwholesome thoughts. And what were your preferred methods or strategies thinking back to incline the mind away from those unwholesome thoughts, similar to the cow herd doing some soft tapping. Okay. Now you don't necessarily have to share this with others when we go into small groups. It's, um, you can, if you want, to help give some context. But it's more about um, talking about what your preferred methods or strategies. All of us are experienced human beings here. See, we all have some good experience to share with each other. So you can share your preferred methods and strategies, how that went. And um, also, you get to hear from others. I, I had done this in the last month or two, and I got some really good ideas from other people, too. So that is the topic for the breakout group. And... I also have some examples. I have the question written out for you. I'll give to your groups. And I have some examples of unwholesome thoughts 
if um, you're having a difficult time coming up with, like, what was that? Um, So you can look at this cheat sheet if you would like. So groups of four, let's see, there's four, four. So groups of three or four. And, you know, very, see how that pans out, just people who are around you or however you get into groups of three and four, and then I'll walk around and hand these to people. And similar to this first session, um, you can do monologues if you would like and go around, or you could go around and share strategies in a circular way, just bits and pieces if that works better for your group. So, um, so see what works best. And I will ring the bell when the time is up. So bowing to your partners and coming back to the larger group. Before we break here, anyone want to share what they maybe learned from other people, what came up in the groups, what they were reminded of in their own methodology and practices?
I was reminded by the group of how useful it is to think of things that you love that or you're grateful for and, and are beautiful. Mm. Great. Um, yeah, we had a really nice session. Um, and I think one of the things that came up for us was um, when do you know where it's something that's, I'll just call it unhealthy, is something that you really need to um, get yourself through it versus just stopping, just saying um, no, no more, you know. Because mm-hmm. I think there are some times where you really need to just investigate it a little more versus just um, saying no. Absolutely. I'm glad your group talked about that, right? Because that's the art form of being human. And um, I've worked with that a lot, and we do talk about that a lot at IMC, and the way that I have worked with it is that if my mindfulness is strong enough to hold what's happening to where I can... You know, you can bear witness to this mind that's doing this and keep going back and just like, ah, oh, wow, look at that. It just keeps going and going. And, and there's a place for some reflection and investigation. Certainly outside of meditation is another place. But if you're in meditation and holding it and bearing witness to it. And so there's this art form, right, of when we're with something... And when it's starting to become toxic and harmful to us. And then knowing when it's appropriate to let that go and to move into maybe some walking meditation and maybe do, you know, even calling a friend or just depending on how much energy this is having. And I'm sure many of you have worked with that too. Walking meditation is a great one that I I use a lot. So, and healthy ways is good. So, right, to distract ourselves, there's also, you know, go grab a cookie, whatever, right? So we all know those distractions as well. But it is an art form. I'd just like to add a little to this, because I've worked a lot with this. Um, It's often been really helpful to me to distinguish between a thought pattern that I'm still a little bit, that I feel like I'm kind of, I don't really understand or that I'm a victim of or that I haven't really gotten to the bottom of what's with this emotionally somehow. And then it feels when the time is right, you know, when I have time to really feel into what's underneath this. You know, so it might be especially the self-critical voices or the hating other people voices that or that that those trains of thought to really recognize that that's coming from some deeper wish, you know? Like, I sometimes ask myself, what is this? It's almost like a part of me, you know? So there's a part that's upset about this, that's saying what it's saying. What is it afraid of? You know, what is it afraid is going to happen? What does it really want for me? What is it, you know, some of it's kind of like voices from, I often think of like a, 
you know, a parent that's very, very worried about their child and wants everything to be safe and perfect, you know. And what is that? Where is that coming from? Or it's often a level that's above a kind of vulnerability and fear. And, you know, we all wish that things were perfect and that we were perfect all the time, you know. And this voice can get very hysterical when we're not perfect all the time (laughs) and when things are not the way we want. But to just keep pushing it away is not, and dismissing it is not as helpful as really acknowledging that it has a point of view, that underneath it wants something that's really not attainable in reality. But it's not that the wish is unrealistic. It's just that the level of energy and hysteria that it's worked up around it is not appropriate. You know, so I, I don't know. I found that brings me into my heart more. And then, but then that doesn't just make it stop. It's, then it's some kind of habit that it keeps cranking up. But after I've really understood it and seen it, it's like it fades away. It doesn't necessarily change its tone of voice, but it's like a radio in a different room still going, rah, 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 you should be perfect, you know. But I've seen through that. And so then I can use these more turning away and ignoring it methods. But, so that's, that's my experience with this. Yeah, it reminds me of uh, uprooting the weed getting down to the causes. I just want to add a, a, a little different slant in that, um, and it, it is to feel it, to allow the voice, to allow the voice, not to, not to annihilate the feelings, not to annihilate the voice, but to keep, to keep going back to silence, to keep making that little effort to go back to silence and um, then they come back and just keep you know in this mess in the catastrophe just allow the catastrophe and keep making the little the still small voice going back to silence and and that there's something intuitive about the silence that that releases it um and in any case, it'll change. It'll always, it'll always change. But just having some faith in the, having faith in fundamental liberation, go, keep going back to fundamental liberation. I received this email today, which was uh, interesting, kind of about this, <clears throat> about just letting it happen, letting it all happen. During the, this is Ajahn Chah. During the course of practicing, it is normal that you experience the different conditions of the mind. You constantly experience desires to do this and that, or go to different places, as well as the different moods of mental pain, frustration, or else indulgence in pleasure-seeking, all of which are the fruits of past karma. All this resultant karma swells up inside the mind and puffs it out. However, it is the product of past actions. Knowing that it is all the stuff coming up from the past, you don't allow yourself to make anything new or extra out of it. You observe and reflect on the arising and cessation of conditions. So it's just, it's ultimately having deeper faith, deeper faith in liberation, deeper faith in awareness, and keep, you know, and, and letting, let keep going back to that and letting letting the awareness resolve the situation without turning away from it. 
Yeah, so, and that's exactly what the breakout groups were. What are all these various methodologies and strategies? Because they, we, I love that we have so many options and different ways to work with the human mind. And then we look and see what's appropriate, what's the appropriate response, right? That's always, what's the appropriate response for us right now in this moment? So thank you for <laughs> sharing that from your group. Any anyone else before we break here? So when you were talking about your investigation of something, um, and that's normally outside of meditation that you do that, or hmm, yes and no. I mean, I don't do it while I'm, you know. I mean, do you I do spend that? a lot of time sitting in a chair, you know, kind of. Uh, Am I meditating or am I doing that? I don't know. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm looking into what's going on. You know, I'm trying to understand something. Sometimes I'm sitting, you know, with a meditation timer on. Sometimes I'm just sitting around. <laughs> so, you know, it's not... I mean, there's also... I appreciate what David said. You know, there's times when I'm really working with, with calming the mind and not getting involved in investigation of things. But... You know, when things are really strong, I guess it's when things are, whenever I happen to feel that it's really strong and it's really going on right now and it's not susceptible to just, you know, I feel that I can sense when there's something that I haven't understood about it. And I don't want to just, pushing it away feels not right, you know, and it's not so easy to just let it go. Then I, at some point I take the time to really un- try to understand what it is. And also, with a lot of increasing connection to the body, I can't stress how much mm-hmm. importance it's been for me to understand how what reactivity does in us is cause us to tense up and lose inner connection with healthy flow. And then that causes more panic because, you know, that adds, just add panic if you're not breathing and if you're not, you know, opening to your full especially around your belly and all those areas, if you're kind of cut off somehow and trying to fix everything in your head, that just adds a panicky feeling to it. Mm -hmm. And so really noticing where am I cutting myself off as in reaction to these thoughts, you know, all that's really helpful. Yeah, that was exactly what Ajahn Sasito was saying. In the body, in the body, in the body, what's happening? I am perhaps the newest member of the meditative community, so I, I feel like I can make this comment. Sometimes um, you're not re- I am not really aware when those negative feelings and negative thoughts uh, basically uh, permeate through, the, uh, through my thinking process or my feeling process or whatever. Uh, but, you know, just as, as an example, and I'm not sure if it's during meditation or not meditation, just like you said. It just simply simply happens. Uh, for example, uh, you know, uh, there was a period when my daughter was uh, was having a job which was inadequate for the uh, for her lifestyle, even sustaining life for her. So I was very worried about that, and it just happens. And I, uh, you know, you know whether I was aware of it or not. I think it would it was happening. I, I, if I was if I had awareness about it, I probably could have really done any number of things that you just mentioned, acknowledging it. And uh, basically going into a uh, going into an space, you know, empty space and stuff like that. But I, 
I wasn't aware of that. So the awareness is really more or less at the center of it all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so. right. And uh, I, checking in here, um, we are supposed to be going on break, so it's totally Just up one to you, little David. quick thing. There's this uh, teacher, um, uh, Byron Katie, who uh, her yeah. way of investigation is, I, I think it's kind of interesting. It's like, um, you look at the thought, and and you actually look at the thought. That this this is what the thought is. What it's saying is that thought true? Is that really true? And then go into silence, and then come back again. Is that thought true? And we, you know, a lot of the thoughts that we're thinking aren't really quite quite so accurate. Yeah, she actually has a third piece there. She says, you know, the first one you ask yourself, is it true? The second one you ask yourself again, is it really true? And then the third is, how do you feel believing that this is true? How does it feel for you? And that's a real core one because like, oh, I feel horrible. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I really like her work too. Yeah, and then, and then, and then how would you feel if you didn't have this thought? Too. She includes that. How would you feel? If, how would you feel if you didn't have this thought? Anyway, those are interesting ways of exploring. Yeah. Yeah, but you're absolutely right. That just bring learning to bring basic awareness to the, the fact that we're having a thought. You know. Mm-hmm. I, I found that something I read in the very beginning of my practice was somebody said they would say to themselves, "Oh, having a thought that," you know, like having a thought. So when you remember that you're trying to meditate or something oh having a thought that my daughter's job isn't the right one or enough you know that kind of makes a phenomenon out of thinking and then once you quit just believing your thoughts automatically and you can make a phenomenon out of thinking oh that thought happened now you can have a relationship to that thought you know is it skillful or not is it helpful or not maybe it's true maybe it's not you know <laughs> yeah yeah so mindful it all starts with the mindfulness Yes, so um, so we're going on break, and I have to say, first come, first serve, I brought some little mini scones. <laughs> well, um, welcome back. to the topic of virya, energy. Um, It's on every list. It's very important. It's very important in our practice how to use our energy. It's in the Eightfold Path. It's in here, the Paramis. It's in the Seven Factors of Awakening. It's in the Five Strengths, probably, I don't know, Many, many lists I'm not even aware of. Um, and there are many different translations. Um, Gill calls it endeavor. I kind of like endeavor. It's kind of a quiet, soft persistence, like kind of a, a mining of this moment. Stephen Batchelder, his teacher from, uh, from uh, Britain, calls it enthusiasm. 
you can imagine that enthusiasm. And the one I'm really liking now is Pema Chodron calls it a joyful exertion. Joyful exertion. You know, to be in this moment, to be aware, to be here, to make that, like Chris was kind of referring to this little, little exertion. Just a little exertion, just a little something to turn 180 degrees away from, you know, rearranging the deck ships, the, de- the deck chairs on the Titanic, you know, or, you know, what we're going to get from people and finance and trips and all the objects that are out there while the ship's going down. To, to turn it around 180 degrees into the freedom and peace and what a relief, huh? Joyful, what a little, little exertion, joyful. Something gladdening about that. The Satipatthana Sutra is um, kind of like the Vipassana Bible. And <clears throat> in the, uh, there's a, a refrain that is, that is, uh, repeated over and over. It's repeated 16 times throughout the Satipatthana. And, and so it's, it's kind of giving the framework for all of the mindfulness practices that are delved into in the sutra. And it says if we have, that we need to have ardency about sati sampajana. Sati is mindfulness, sampajana is clear comprehension. So awareness, mindful, clear comprehension. We need to be, have some, if we have ardency, a little ardency, kind of like a love for it, a love, a love for this awareness, a love for the present moment, a love for Dharma. If we have a little love for it, then the promise is, we will have no more sorrow, no more lamentation, no more dukkha, no more distress, no more desire and discontent for the world. It even promises, if we do this, we'll have nibbana. Maybe little nibbanas over and over, and maybe this is nibbana right now right? If we're not agitated, what could be better than this? We live in the peninsula. (laughs) The weather's good. Got plenty to eat. You know, no real concerns. Right now, maybe this isn't about... So just turning to this right now, just turning to awareness. Thinking about what to have so many things, different things. I'll just tell you a little story. Gil told us about about this teacher, Chino Sensei. He lived in Mountain View. You knew Chino Sensei, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. He was a Zen teacher, great, great teacher. He he, he would give us. He was a, a disciple of Suzuki Roshi. He'd give these long talks, and he he was you know so immersed in the. Dharma, so immersed in awareness, so so completely present, 
So he didn't prepare anything. He just got up in front of us and sat, you know, sat zazen and talked. And then he'd have, he'd say some things, and then he'd have these long silences while he was, what else should I say here? And sometimes he fell asleep during the silence. <laughs> and we're, you know, sitting there, and our legs are, like, burning up. And, and he's, like, falling. Oh, and he wakes up, and he says some, something else that's wonderful. Well, he was a master archer. You might have heard this story on a retreat. Um, and so there was this large group at Big Sur, and they wanted to, they were going to watch him do an archery demonstration. They're all very, very you know, wonderful thing. Waiting a long time because he's not so punctual. So eventually he walks out, and he's in, in full, don, full archery gear, you know, arm, arm covering something on his legs, something around his torso, a little, little hat, and a thing. Uh, then covered, holding his arrows on his back, and he, he's walking out like with great presence, like the presence of a mountain. And he walks out, and, he, and finally he reaches, mindful walking, he reaches the spot that's about 50 long ways away, the, the bullseye, maybe 50 yards away. And then he reaches back into his, whatever that thing is called, and he, wicker, I was thinking that. Quiver, quiver, yeah. And then he pulls up his bow and he very mindfully, carefully pulls his bow back. And we're just like saying, wow, this is going to go right through that bullseye. And then he raises the the bow up to the sky and he lets the arrow go up to the sky. So the arrow goes up to the sky and then it plops in the ocean. And that was his teaching. The, the sky, the ocean, returning, returning to that. Always returning to that, always returning to the ocean, the sky of the present moment. And sometimes things go great. And the older we get, easier it gets. But sometimes it doesn't go great and we're a mess. And we can't stop thinking. And we're full of confusion and distress and worry or rage or vengefulness or all kinds of stuff. We just can't get rid of it. We just... It's just karma. Karma is coming forth But we um, have tasted liberation. I think we've all tasted liberation. So we all know that liberation is possible. It's all, we, we, we know that. So, you know, we've talked about different techniques. There are many, many techniques of investigation, exploring, naming, is this true, not true, you know. We do it. We just we do our technique. We the technique might be going back to the body, going back to the breath, going to uh, uh, the sound of silence, the, the little sound in the ear, or the sounds in general. Or we might go to a mantra. Might be our technique. And Ram Das 
uh, his mantra was, I am loving awareness. I am loving awareness. He would chant that. I, I heard him chant that. It's just so beautiful. He's, he felt that so strongly. I am loving. That's, that's, that was his doorway. So just this persistent, in whatever way we do it, this persistent exertion, joyful exertion. Joyful because in the midst of being a mess, we have faith. We're going to get back. We're going to get back to peace. We're going to get back to ease. We're going to get back to gratitude. We're going to get back to the ocean, to the sky, to awareness. We will. And we do. It seems like I spent a whole retreat immersed in anger. This was about 13 years ago. (laughs) But I kept getting over it. And I kept getting over it. And I kept getting over it. I kept getting over it during the retreat I prayed to Avalokiteshvara (laughs) help me but I got over it right? and now that doesn't bother me anymore whatever that was I know what it was (laughs) the jerk (laughs) so uh, but sometimes you know we, we are broken Sometimes we're shattered. Sometimes we feel just these big holes. I'm going to read a poem about that. This is by Rashani Rea. There is a brokenness out of which comes the unbroken. A shatteredness out of which blooms the unshatterable. There is a sorrow beyond all grief that leads to joy and a fragility out of whose depths emerge strength. There is a hollow space too vast for words through which we pass with each loss out of whose darkness we are sanctioned into being. There's a cry deeper than sound whose serrated edges cut the heart as we break open to the place inside that is unbreakable and whole while learning how to sing. So, we come back to this precious life. And this effort is, um, it's insatiable. It's insatiable. And, and you know, uh, our insight comes to us. Maybe we have an insight right now. This is an insight. This is okay. And our insights deepen 
You could say our enlightenment deepens. And there's no end to it. We just... I'm thinking that there's no such thing as a final enlightenment. We just have to keep doing it over and over. There's no end. We can't live long enough to complete this. And that's okay. Because it's joyful. The practice is joyful. Somebody asked uh, Suzuki Roshi, um, will I be enlightened? And he said, excuse me, after a long pause, he said, yes, you'll probably be enlightened, but in the meantime, practice is almost as good. So there's this almost that we work with. Rilke said something that um, evokes this endless joyful process. I live my life in widening circles that already reach out across the world. I may not complete the last one, but I give myself to it. I give myself to a joyful exertion. And just this last uh, little thing from Thomas Merton about what we give ourselves to. This wonderful, this wonderful, amazing emergence. It just strikes me. How is this possible? How am I here? What is this? This wonderful emergence. How we, I was born... I was born into this. And it's not going to last very long. But just to really appreciate that I'm here for this brief time. And do I really want to waste my time beating myself up when I can be aware of this? So... um, got so many poems here. Uh, Jennifer Wellwood said, let's stop pretending we don't know the deal here, or if we haven't truly noticed, let's wake up and notice, look, everything that can be lost will be lost. Impermanence is life's only promise to us. And she keeps it with ruthless impeccability. To a child she seems cruel, but she's only wild in her compassion it's exquisitely precise, brilliantly penetrating, luminous with truth. She strips away the unreal to show us the real. This is the true ride. Let's give ourselves to it. We are not children anymore. The true human adult gives everything for what cannot be lost. And then Thomas Merton In prayer, we discover what we already have. You start where you are, and you deepen what you already have. And you realize that you are already there. 
We already have everything, but we don't always know it, and we don't always experience it. All we need is to experience what we already have. So, insatiable, limitless, joyful exertion. Practice is enlightenment. That's what we would say in, in, in uh, Zen Center. We, you know, practice is enlightenment. So I, I think, uh, staying on schedule here, uh, let's do a breakout session. And a um, good topic would be maybe, um, and where is your ardency? What are you... What do you love? What do you find meaningful? Is that something that resonates with you all? Is that something you could talk about? Yeah, okay. So let's break up into groups of three and one group of four, please. Let's see. Um, so let's uh, maybe. Uh, I, I like the idea of maybe taking three minutes or so to uh, say something, and and then just go around, and uh, maybe I'll ring the bell every three minutes or so, and that'll leave. Uh, and and then the, four, the the group of four will have a, the, the the groups of three can have an extra three minutes just to. Talk, you know, as you want. So, okay, so go ahead and I'll, I'll ring a bell after three minutes. Okay, so we'd love to hear um, if you'd be willing. We'd love to hear hear your thoughts. What you love? What are you ardent about? What's meaningful? What, you know, or whatever you discussed. Get to push the button, I think it's off. Yeah, I think the uh, the thing that we spoke in our group about was uh, at least two of us was uh, um, basically value of uh, hiking and exerting oneself in the uh, in the open space and enjoying the what uh, what we have landed here in a piece of God's earth in California so (laughs) 
that is something that uh, mm. we found very, I find, yeah, very amazingly enjoyable. Yeah, great. Nature is great. Yes, yeah. I almost become a spiritual when when I'm doing that. Mm-hmm. So. Someone else share with you, with us? Um, Thanks to coming here. Um, for many years now, I'm, you know, getting this to uh, teach myself uh, a passion for awareness right now. And I do a little roll call, like, are you here? Uh, and just, you know, and welcome myself back. And, you know, um, and when I am lapsing into, like, a grievance story, I do know what David said You'll get back to, you will come back to me. I am here. You will come back. I'm waiting. Have your say. But you will be back. So I'm beginning to um, to just have this enthusiasm for just now. Just this. Mm-hmm. And trusting in it. Yeah, the present moment is so generous. It's always willing to arrive here with us. It's always so willing to be here with us. Trusting that you'll come back. Go and have your little say. group was just so lovely and like the three of us my experience in our group was so lovely and the three of us just expressed so much um, joy uh, with the Dharma and how generous the Dharma is how much how much oh man I'm going to cry again it just the Dharma gives just gives joy um so I so this uh and we we have many ways you know as we as I was saying many techniques, many ways, you know, just to find our way back. And sometimes it takes a while and we get lost again. It takes a while, but just that faith, that effort, that endeavor, that 
the constancy of effort is based in faith. That freedom is here. I was telling Chris and Jen that uh, Suzuki Roshi said it's practices like trying to find your pillow in the dark. Keep groping for it. Trying to find it. Keep groping for it. Carol? I love what uh, Morgan said because Buddhism, we all come here, I think, from major suffering of one sort or another. And it just follows us like a shadow until we really begin to understand what that suffering is. And then it becomes, you know, you feel the lessening of the suffering and the ability to deal with it. And it does the recognition of the joy of that I loved what you said, Morgan, and, you know, I keep wanting to um, be able to recognize that and appreciate what Buddhism is and has done for me as well. Lovely. There's a, um, a wholesome appreciation that's... that's uh, Recommended. It's it's for, well. First of all, to appreciate the amazingness of this of this life. This it's kind of crazy that we're here. It's such a miracle that we're here. Um, but then to appreciate and and this is so unusual, so rare, such a rare thing that we have discovered the Dharma that we have a pathway to hear. How rare that is to hear the Dharma, to practice the Dharma, to find our way here. And uh, along this theme, which is so joyful, is the Sangha. It's the combination, you know, so the Buddha, Dharma, Sangha. This Sangha, this Sangha this morning, joy. Such joy. And so there's, I agree, the teachings, you know, they are in practice and the teachings and reading the emails and studying and then coming here and sharing. It's like, and how did you find that? And how did you find that? And, and we share and discover what is other people is that to me is the sangha is so key for me like right in there with the dharma oh we're talking about joy i uh, i i listened to the the three from the email with the um three things to listen to um I wonder if it, you know, are our bodhisattvas always supposed to be happy? Like, there was one thing about, you know, choosing your energy and something that you care deeply about, and then it it said, oh, somebody, sometimes they work for 40 years for a company, and then they get laid off, and they're really upset and stuff. And to me, it struck me as a little hard-hearted, you know? Um, 
especially if you get into the um, the nonprofit world where somebody usually there's a goal or there's an ideal and people get fired in that world you know and there's conflict between the board and somebody else and um, I mean don't you feel sad for someone else when something happens I guess that it kind of I, I don't remember what that part about the person working for 40 years as though that person is foolish or something but I, maybe they could have made better choices but I felt sympathetic with them yeah, yeah, I kind of had the same feeling actually reading that paragraph. But I think I think it's talking about uh, uh, yes, of course, you do feel compassion for everybody in every situation, and compassion for the person who's who who's you know spent their the whole life doing what they thought they needed to do, but never really connected with maybe something deeper. So of course, compassion. You know, one of the Brahma Viharas is always the appropriate response. To, to different situations, so yeah, that was. I think that was m- maybe that paragraph was meant as kind of a cautionary, you know. Let's look at our lives like we're all doing, you know. Not not expect that the company loyalty to the company is going to deliver, you know. It kind of there's more to life than that. But in if it were a real person, not a hypothetical person that he was talking about, I think compassion would definitely be the the right response yeah right and there's a certain kind of joy in compassion yeah. too yeah yeah it's, it's it's really not just about happy's a dangerous word you know happy's not always the appropriate response you know things tragic things happen sadness heartfelt sadness is often but the joy is a funny thing you know it, joy isn't really the same as happy yeah it's got that little Something like you're really touching the depth of life and you're being with it and you're truly acknowledging it and you're feeling the appropriate feeling for the time that has a kind of clarity to it, that has an element of what's some, sometimes called joy that isn't really the same as happiness. But it's like, you know, a clean feeling of sadness, <laughs> you know, that's appropriate for a situation. A little buoyancy. Yeah, it's not despair. It's not the same as, you know, really being sad when you lose someone you love or something like that is not the same thing as as turning sour and despairing, you know. So, yeah. So, oh, you want to say something? Go ahead. Well, I was just going to wrap up here because we're over time. So uh, next is patience, which is always... Uh, Always, always useful. <laughs> so, <laughs> so in case you're not enlightened yet, patience. <laughs> so, so we've got, we have upcoming, we have patience, truth, resolve, kindness, and equanimity. So those are the next the few months. Goes by so fast. What? The morning goes by so Yeah, fast. it does go by fast, but I do believe it's after just noon or afternoon. So, did anybody bring lunch today? Okay, that doesn't really seem to be taking. So, I think uh, let's let's discontinue that policy, okay? We originally we invited people to stay for lunch, but nobody ever does, and so we I think we'll we'll just let that go. So, I'll let the email list know about that also. Okay. Thanks. See you next month. Thank you all for participating so wholeheartedly today.
Okay.